when I'm not behind the mic, I'm usually hosting an event, hosting a meetup, teaching people how to raise equity. And we have a huge event. Last year, it was one of the biggest events for all of multifamily. And it's coming up on October 3rd, 4th, and 5th. I hope you'll attend. Go to RaisingMoneySummit.com and then you can get a discount by putting in the promo code podcast. It's time for the Creative Real Estate Podcast, your source for out-of-the-box real estate investing strategies brought to you by RealBlueSpruce.com. Welcome back to the Creative Real Estate Podcast. I am your host, Adam A. Adams. And before we get started, I will share one quick thing with you, the listener, that I won't share on my regular Facebook. But I'm going to be on stage with with, uh, Michael Becker, uh, Joe Fairless. I should actually pull this up and get it in front of you, in front of me, so I can read these guys off. I mean, Hal Elrod, Corey Peterson, Robert Helms, Joe Fairless, uh, Adam Adams, Andrew Cushman, Matt Fairclough, Dave Zook, Brian Burke, Michael Becker, Reed Goosens, Dan Hanford, and Neil Bawa. If you want to join us in July, that's the 25th, 26th, and 27th. It's the DealMaker Live event. Just go to dealmakerliveevent.com and then to get an extra hundred bucks off of your ticket, do forward slash Adam. So it's dealmakerliveevent.com forward slash Adam. That's the way you actually save a hundred bucks off of your tickets. So today I am with Tahid Siddiqui and Tahid is actually very focused on new development. Sam Newell uh, is watching the live right now. Good to have you. He's also doing new development. This episode is to teach you how to protect yourself, how to teach you how to protect your downside. And Tahid Siddiqui is the right person to do that. He came from Wall Street. And in Wall Street, with all of their investments, the main thing they do is protect their downside. And he found a way to get out of it and to get into real estate. And he started by doing development. He's buying a uh, 10-acre property right now to build something like 150, 200 plus units on. So if you have questions that you want to ask and you're on the Facebook Live, just throw your questions in and I will make sure that me and or Tahid, actually specifically Tahid, answers that question on how you can protect yourself even in this market when you're doing development. He's not afraid to buy 10 acres and build a couple hundred units. And you shouldn't either if you have the right knowledge behind you. So with that said, Tahid has done over a thousand units already. And so I want him to start by kind of answering this one question, answering this for us is, you know, why would you leave Wall Street, Tahid? Sure. Um, first of all, thanks for having me, uh, Adam. Appreciate it. Uh, why, why did I leave Wall Street? Um, to be honest with you, you know, right after the NBA, I did go to Wall Street and this was back in 98. Things were fantastic. Everybody thought they were genius. NASDAQ was up 100%, you know, for a couple of years. And Amazon and Yahoo used to go up like 10 bucks a day. Uh, We enjoyed it. uh, But I was more on the hedge funds, which is, you know, long and short uh, side. So it's always downside protection. And in 2000, as you remember, you know, market got hit pretty bad. And uh, honestly, we did really good because we were hedge funds and we had a downside protection. And from 2000 till 2005, I had my own company with a partner. Uh, we had a great run. 
And uh, eventually, you know, it was just my family. I had two kids, uh, young kids, and I was traveling all the time um, in, to Japan and Singapore, Hong Kong, uh, Switzerland. You know, I, I literally was living in planes and hotels, and that got to me. And also, my m- biggest issue was the volatility and, and you know, the, the lack of visibility. I mean, sometimes, you know, you invest money in Wall Street and uh, you wake up in the morning with no fault of yours. You know, you're down 10, 15 percent. And I, I just it, that was becoming harder and harder for me. So real estate, always the stability, the visibility, you know, always actually attracted me. And to me also, you know, if Wall Street was an advanced calculus, this this is a simple arithmetic for me you know, be that it's just the new development or uh, the syndications of these stabilized deals. So it is uh, less vol- volatility, more visibility, more control, more, you know, impact of your local um, market than, you know, in Wall Street, you could be investing and then something happens in Japan overnight and you wake up and you're down 10%. And I, I just didn't, couldn't live with that anymore. So that's why back in 2000, uh, uh, end of 2005, I left Wall Street. In 2006, I came to full-time real estate, and I have been doing uh, full-time real estate since then. So you do a couple of different things, Tahid. Is and I might be wrong on this, so just let me know. You, I think you do a couple things, right? You're developing, and and you're doing most of that with your own capital. And these are big projects, and you also do some syndication with multifamily. Is that right? That is correct. Uh, that is correct. So I have done, uh, you know, a lot of ground up construction of multifamily buildings. And I also have uh, syndicated about 1000 units, uh, primarily in DFW, Jacksonville, Florida, and San Antonio. So I, I kind of do both. And honestly, the, you know, my businesses are very synergistic. And by the way, I, I have a website, tossinvestments.com where all the projects that I've done on the syndication as well as the new construction are mentioned. Uh, yeah, and um, there are a lot of synergies, you know, uh, on the syndications, I always gravitate towards value add um, because that's the knowledge I have. I have my own team of contractors. I have team of engineers. I have team of, you know, architects, interior designers, and I can use them uh, you know, w- because of my relationship with them on the uh, ground up construction and use them in my apartment uh, um, buildings and do it better and cheaper than others. I have not done a project yet where, you know, um, I'm talking about syndication where the rehab was uh, uh, at budget. I have always been able to do rehab and repair list, uh, you know, less than the budget. And the reason I can do that is because of the relationship and teams I have from my ground up construction. Got it. Okay. So let me ask you this. Um, my prop, my, my group, our company, we mainly focus on just syndicating deals that have, that have been around and we can see the profit and loss statements for the last two years. And we, we, instead of really buying property we're I feel like we're technically buying cash flow. we're purchasing the cash flow that that we see with a potential upside and that's made that's helped us to feel really confident or comfortable when we get into it and a lot of this goes along with just not really understanding 
uh, ground up construction, doing all the horizontals, doing all of the uh, zoning, the permitting, the foundation, the bringing the water in, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. There's a lot of costs. There can be a lot of time. So really what I want to learn from you on this call is how to protect the downside, how to get us in a position if we are going to do a ground up development like you are with 10 acres building potentially a couple hundred units on that 10 acres, how do you uh, see what it's going to take to to do the zoning? How do you know how long it's going to take to do the zoning, to pull in the water, how much it's going to cost to put in the water taps? There's so many uh, things that to me are unknown. And so I think we could learn a lot if you could just help us first off by understanding the process. And I know that's a long answer, but let's get started by just knowing what is the process and then how do you protect yourself? Sure, that, that's a great question. And maybe I'll walk you through my uh, last development, which was 32 units. And I'll, I'll cover the due diligence part as well as the downside uh, protection. So uh, just like apartments, you know, when you buy a land, you get some due diligence time on the land right? It could be 30 to 60 days. Um, and during that time, if you have access to engineers and architects and, uh, you know, team who can talk to city, that's what you do, right? So you put something under contract and then you get your teams going. Um, you talk to city about how far is the water line from your uh, track, right? How far is the sewage line? These two could be very, very expensive if they are too far. However, if they're running right by your property, then it's just a matter of tapping into those. And then your expense is just running the lines from those main lines into your buildings, which is relatively, again, relatively cheaper, right? Another issue we have, particularly in Texas, is uh, storm drain. Uh, sometimes you can have a great uh, piece of land that you think you can build. However, the storm drain can kill the deal, and that has happened to me. So let me give you an example of the last deal that I did here in North Dallas. Like I said, it was 32 units. You know, I, I put the uh, land under contract, then had number of discussions with the city, you know, and I had a couple of engineers working on it and I had my architect working on it. And it took us about, I think, two and a half months. And we identified some issues. There was an issue with the water, but, you know, we came up with a solution. There was a problem about the drainage, uh, storm drain. And we came up with a solution and we still, you know, thought that this, this is a very viable project. And we went ahead with it. And finally, we closed on the land. Uh, and, you know, the, the, the place this was built is called, uh, the city is Princeton, which is uh, just a, a secondary market, a little east of uh, McKinney. So as the people are being pushed out by, you know, rising prices in Plano, McKinney, Frisco, uh, people here are moving little east or north, and that that's what Princeton is. It is now about 15, 20 minutes commute to Plano. So we knew it was it was a great location. You know, now that we have figured out all the water sewer issues, you know, we went ahead with it. And then it is all about like you were saying, you know, downside protection, right? And we came up with a very creative structure. Frankly, it took us about five months going back and forth, back and forth between, you know, my team, legal team and, and the city. And we were able to split those 32 units in such a way 
that they could be individually sold as a fourplex. However, even when you go there now, you'll see them as eightplex, but they are, you know, two, four units combined as fourplex plus fourplex is an eightplex. Why we did fourplex there, frankly, because fourplex is the highest number you can go where you can get conventional loan, right? So it is much easier and you have many buyers who would buy four unit building as opposed to five unit building. Because as soon as you go from four to five, now you have to get a commercial loan, right? So we, we did that for a good reason. Uh, and you know, from a downside uh, protection standpoint, uh, the whole project was pre-sold actually before even I started. Literally, the whole project was pre-sold, right? How, how did I do that? So I, I sold them as fourplexes. We had an HOA and I became an acting president of that HOA. And most of like fourplexes, you know, as I said, you know, two fourplexes combined was, was one eightplex and actually single owner bought the eightplex in most cases, but they got two conventional loans. And the way I protected myself was, you know, I asked them for 10% upfront non-refundable, you know, and I know, you know, many people told me that's not going to happen. I had absolutely no problem. And maybe the reason I had was most of these clients had already bought from me in the past, you know, very successfully. And they knew that we have the resources financially as well as, uh, you know, um, human resources to complete this project in time, which we did. And as a matter of fact, uh, they made probably, you know, easy 20% between when they signed the contract and by the time I handed over those units to them. So my only regret is why I sold them. I wish I had kept them. Okay. All right. So let me ask you this question on just getting things pre-sold because that does seem like one way to like drastically mitigate risk is to have the project sold before you are finished with it. Because if you have to wait, obviously that's going to, that has the potential of, of putting us in a bad position. So how did you pre-sell the properties before, you know, you finish building them? So like I said, you know, these were, Adam, these were 32 units, right? But actually they were eight fourplexes, right? And they were four eightplexes. So I sold them to individual investors and they could buy a fourplex, uh, now, three of the four eightplexes, actually, whoever bought, they wanted to buy both sides. And it was very easy. They put on a conventional loan. And the way we did it, like I said, you know, all I asked for was 10% non-refundable on day one. That protected me in case they decided to walk away. And we did uh, first 16 units right away. We got those done. They were all rented. And honestly, uh, in the hindsight, obviously, just so you know, by the way, by having a downside protection, I did give up some upside, right? Had I sold them after I completed them, the prices had gone up and I would have done a lot better. But yes, to, you know, put a cap on your upside a little bit, but have full certainty that when you build, they will be sold. To me, it was worth for our firm. And in this case, you know, I wasn't uh, syndicating. This was being done with my and my company's balance sheet. So I, I chose that route. And again, you know, this is something when I do for me, just as natural being trained in Wall Street, 
is downside protection. So we pre-sold with 10% non-refundable. Every one of them came through except for one. And there we, uh, you know, I, I actually ended up buying that uh, and keeping that, which I'm very, very happy about. Now that particular one can be sold for a lot more than I sold the others because this is being sold now when it is uh, built and leased up. But again, you know, selling it upfront, taking some money non-refundable, it provided me a great downside protection. And I knew that when I build, I will have these investors, uh, you know, take over. Okay. All right. So actually we have a question right directly from the Facebook live happening right now. So um, Mike Hadris asks, what is your average range in site development costs on a per square foot of land basis? Um, that's very interesting. Um, it's, it's a good question, Mike, but um, it's very difficult to give you a standard number. Uh, square foot, you know, per square foot cost can depend on, uh, first, let's say the land, what the development cost is going to be of the land. As I touched on it earlier, if water and sewer are too far from you, your cost could be very high uh, bringing them in. Now, the land we are buying, for example, right now, that is not an issue. So my cost of development per lot is going to be relatively cheaper, right? Number one. Number two, when you build buildings, your cost honestly can vary so much based on what you pick for your interiors and what you pick for your exteriors. For example, for exteriors, if you're doing just siding, it's going to be much cheaper. However, if you're going to do with, you know, go with masonry with brick and stone or even stucco, then the cost is very high, right? Same thing, you go to interiors. If you're going to put carpet, it's cheaper. But if you go with, uh, you know, fancy flooring with uh, um, tiles, ceramic tiles, cost is going to be higher. If you go with regular counters versus granite counters, the cost is going to be different. So it's very hard for me to give you a number unless I know a project, I know the land, and I know what type of construction we'll be doing, what we'll be putting in the interior, and what kind of exterior we'll have. So it's a very difficult question to answer. You know, if you wanna pick just any number, which is gonna vary so much, maybe in the current market, you know, start with $100, $110 a foot. But like I said, that number can change in a heartbeat depending on what kind of land you have, what it needs, and more importantly, what kind of exterior and interior you're going to have in, in the construction. The numbers can vary so much. Okay, and Mike Hadris uh, wants to clarify his question here. He says, um, he just really wanted to know the site development, not, not all the hard costs, but the site development. And then can you give examples of sewer costs that were close and sewer that was far? Oh, uh, sure, sure. So let me give you an example of sewer. Even if sewer is running like, you know, 100 feet away from you, but it's on the, on the other side of the street, it will be much harder to bring to your land, right? Versus if it was on 100 feet, but on the same side of the street. So it's hard. It's hard. And honestly, sometimes if you have to bring sewer like half a mile, it could cost you half a million dollars, Right. So it re and that's why you do all this during the due diligence when you're buying land. You know, three critical questions. How far is sewage? 
how far is a water main line, and then the storm drain. These three can run your cost. Then also what, what can change your cost pretty rapidly is the, the topo of the land. If you have to do a lot of dirt work, right, depending on which side the drainage is, that could be very expensive. In some cities, depending on the city, uh, even getting rid of trees could be quite expensive for you because either you're going to have to pay per tree or you're going to have to put so many trees back. So unfortunately, there's no fixed way of calculating uh, the cost. It depends on many variables, but I think the most important things that you want to look for uh, are probably three, or, uh, three to five that I just gave you. How far is the sewerage? How far is a water? How far uh, and what kind of storm drain you have over there? And then, you know, what kind of topo and uh, and trees? What you have to what you what you have to clear up? These five can change your cost. You know, sometimes the develop, cost of development of three acre could be more than developing ten acres, depending on what the cost is of these five six variables that I I, I just talked about. Very, very interesting. Yeah, thank you so much. Okay, so Mike Hadries also says um, to prep the land for development. Um, maybe that was the other part of the question. Did you already answer that? If so, we can uh, hold to the next one. Yeah, so like, like I said, you know, uh, it, it depends, right? If, if it's a flat land, it's going to be easier for you to prep. If it has no trees, it's going to be relatively easier for you, right? Uh, whereas if uh, another thing is if it's not flat and you're going to need a lot of retaining walls, boy, those those retaining walls could be very expensive, you know, and uh, getting those engineered and construction of retaining walls could be very expensive. So flatter the land, the cheaper it is for you to develop. Uh, another thing, by the way, then, you know, uh, not from development, but from construction point of view, right, is if you're going to have individual meters for each unit, you'll be paying a lot of impact fee because the impact fee is per meter, right? Mm. Uh, as opposed to if you're going to have a master meter. So you have to make all those decisions. Same thing for electric meter. If you're going to have a master meter, the expense of one meter is a lot cheaper than say, you know, 30, 40 or hundred meters that you need per unit. So all those decisions you have to make when, when you're, um, you know, estimating your cost. Awesome. George Gutierrez or Jorge Gutierrez asks, how do you hedge against a correction when developers are the first ones to lose uh, the change of loan regulations? There you go. You know, great question, right? Most developers lose because they are in the middle of the development and market turns on you, right? And if you got all 200 units, you're in trouble. So I, I just want to say this. I'm not the, you know, big billion dollar uh, developer, right? And I also don't, that's why I don't even go to primary markets like here in Dallas, you know, Frisco, Plano. I kind of go to secondary markets where I have less competition. The second thing I do, for example, even this 10 acres you're talking about, I am probably going to split this project into four phases, right? And this is again, because how much risk appetite I have or how much risk I can take. So, Let's say if, if it is 200 units at the end or 180 units, I, I'm not going to start all 180 units. I'm not even actually going to develop all the land, even though it might be efficient and you know, economical to develop full 10 acres. I am thinking actually in our, in our case to develop 
half of it first. And then even on that half, you know, let's say that is for 80 units, right? We just going to build 40 units first. And the way I'm going to do it is build, lease up. And as we are getting close to lease up, maybe start building the other one, right? And that's why I don't want to have all the money tied up for 180, 200 units in this case, for example. Rather, I'm going to split it into pieces, right? Into phases. And I'm going to do instead of, for example, if, if the total number is going to be 180, I am going to do, you know, 45 units at a time. And that's how I, because that kind of risk I can manage if I have 45 units, right, that we can't sell. In this case, most probably we are also thinking about not selling, but leasing it up and keeping it for my own, uh, my own portfolio. But I think we'll do like 40 or 45 units at a time, build, lease up, put agency loan, do, then go to second 40, 45, then do third and, you know, so on and so forth. All right. So Mike Hadries asks, how long is the entitlement process in Texas on your last four on on your last few projects um it, it so for uh, the let, let me give you I, I guess on princeton right it uh we the day we went under contract it took us about eight to nine months going back and forth with city getting it approved plans then it took another nine to six to nine months to develop. And then it took us 12 to 18 months to build units. And again, I could have done faster, but then you're taking more risk, right? I did it more in sequence. Instead of doing the whole 32, I did 16, closed on them. And I had already the other 16 started, but you know, kind of used capital from the first 16 and put in second 16, we did that way. Okay. Awesome. Awesome. Uh, Emma asked, has a question. Um, I'll ask mine first uh, because I'll need to read hers while you're going. But I want to know what's the biggest mistake you ever made with development and how did it go? Yeah. Um, well, last year when, uh, or yeah, towards the end of 2017 and going into 18. I had three projects going, honestly, and I wish I had uh, built my organization better in the hindsight, you know, and bigger than I, I did at the time. And that's why when we started 2019, you know, one of my first goal was for 2019 is to start building an organization as opposed to having, you know, one or two people doing this. So if I have to go back and think about that, I think that's what it was where I, you know, I, there was time where I was working 12 hours a day, 13 hours a day. Uh, so that's, to me, is not productive, I think, you know. And as a matter of fact, that's why I already have started building the organization and we have started automating our processes. Um, so I think that was the only mistake. Fortunately, honestly, I have not had any mistake where, you know, I've been hit uh, financially. Uh, so, that, that, yeah. I think it's, it's, I should have built more organization, you know, while doing those projects as opposed to towards the end. Okay. All right. So Emma Powell asks, what structure do you prefer for the ideal capital stack? And then a, a follow-up is, 
what are other options if your ideal structure won't apply to a specific project? Uh, I guess I, uh, I just want to understand the question. You, you mean the source, uh, how I source the project capital? I believe that's the question. And I know that for you, you're not, you're personally not syndicating your development. You're syndicating uh, other apartments. Um, so if this doesn't apply, no problem. But yeah, how do you do your capital stack for, with debt and equity when you're purchasing these properties? So for uh, ground up, uh, you know, and development projects, uh, these are all actually funded uh, by me and my company. And then obviously I have a relationship with banks that uh, lend, um, you know, for those uh, construction projects. And on the, um, on the apartment side, I have uh, for larger acquisitions, I have done syndications uh, because most of my acquisitions, you know, on average are north of 10 to $15 million. So those are um, the equity comes from syndication and the debt um, that we do is the agency loan, um, fixed agency non-recourse loans. Would you ever consider syndicating a development if it was large enough? Yes. So like, like I said, you know, now that I am building the organization and expanding the organization, uh, one of the things we are thinking is that what we can do is multiple projects, right? So I can kind of leverage my own capital and my company's balance sheet. So uh, down the road, yes, I, 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 I think that we may end up syndicating development. And part of this also is uh, after syndicating, you know, about thousand units, uh, I have so many investors now who are also interested in uh, in ground up projects, and they they would like to invest with me. So yes, we might do that. Awesome. We are going to move into the final five, but first, a quick word from our sponsor. By now, you should know that one of the biggest things that brings me joy and happiness is to meet listeners of the show. That's why I do so many live events. I definitely want to meet you if, you if you'd like to meet me and some of our speakers, some of our presenters that come to the Raising Money Summit. And just to name a few, we've got Corey Peterson, Jason and Peely Yarusi, Michael Blanc, Michael Becker, Adam Adams, Ellie Perlman, Kathy Fedke, Maureen Miles, Jillian Sadoti, Jean Trowbridge, Alina Trigub, Todd Dexheimer, Ramakrishna, Jeremy Roll, Chris Clothier, Matt Terrio, and Mark and Tamil Kenny. It's going to be awesome. I'll see you on October 3rd, 4th, and 5th. Just go to RaisingMoneySummit.com. And then if you want a big discount, just put in podcast because my podcast listeners get a giant discount because I am hosting that event. I'll see you October 3rd, 4th, and 5th. All right, Tahid, what is the most creative deal that you've ever done? So I think most creative was the last deal I, I, I talked about in Princeton. You know, how we... Um, how creative my legal team was and how we were able to structure the deal um, because we had limited land and we wanted to get, you know, minimum number of units. And yet we had to put a storm drain uh, pond in there. And, uh, you know, we, we came up with uh, some great ideas. And as a matter of fact, a lot of those ideas, I think we are going to use in our uh, next upcoming uh, development. So that, that deal that I did in Princeton, I thought was very, very creative and it really was a win-win for everybody at the end. Okay. What's a book you recommend? 
Oh, um, a classic. Uh, you know, it's old that I read probably uh, when I was in uh, college, to be honest. Uh, the Power of Subconscious Mind. The Power of uh, okay. Subconscious Mind by Joseph Murphy, yeah. I'm I, right. That kind of changed my life. It, it taught me, you know, how whatever you can imagine, whatever you can think can happen for you. I love that. All right. I put that into the show notes. And I really appreciate you going over that. Where were you five years ago, Tahid? Oh, so five years ago is when I moved to, uh, or six, five, six years ago is when I, when I moved to Dallas. Um, so exactly five, you know, in 2014, I was doing what I'm doing right now. Uh, full-time real estate, uh, multifamily, and ground-up construction. Where will you be five years from today? Probably doing the same, to be honest. I love it, what I'm doing. I enjoy it. Uh, you know, this, this affords me the luxury of time that, uh, you know, the flexibility, uh, spending time with the family and play golf when I want to, which is, uh, you know, one more thing I really enjoy in life. So to be honest, I, I think it'll be pretty much, uh, you know, maybe bigger and better. Uh, but frankly, I don't have a desire to be, you know, a multi-billion dollar company. I, I just enjoy what I do and I want to continue doing that. How do you give back? Many ways. Uh, I, I guess, you know, I try to work a lot with uh, young people. Um, I am somebody who really started uh, with nothing. Frankly, you know, I am someone who paid for my own education and got put myself through college and then MBA. So I, I, I like to always mentor a lot, of, you know, uh, young teenagers. I, I work uh, with my son and his friends and his school and now even his college. Uh, that's one way. And obviously, then there are organizations that I, I like to financially help as much as I can. Awesome. Awesome. And how do people find you or get a hold of you? How do they find your company? What's the one best way? If you could just pick one. Uh, it's through my website and they can register for information and they can, uh, you know, go through all our projects. The website is Toss Investments, which is www.taasinvestments.com. So it's uh, toss investments with an s.com. Awesome. Thank you so much. Hey, uh, George Gutierrez asked where you learned how to do syndication and development. Uh, so I owe all that to my mentor, uh, Brad Sumrock. Anybody who's interested in multifamily, he, he's, he's the person, uh, he's the guy you got to go to. Uh, I don't know anybody else who's better than him. And, uh, he taught me everything. Uh, to be honest, that I know and everything that I have done in the multifamily, I owe it all to him. Uh, fantastic. Probably the best mentor. Great. Thank you so much, Tahid. I really appreciate your time, your wisdom coming on to share it with me and our audience. There's a lot of people that were able to ask direct questions on the Facebook Live, and you're very candid and open with all of your answers. Really, really appreciate that. And I will let you go. But until next time, my friend, think outside the box. I hope you decide to go ahead and grab your ticket to the Raising Money Summit this year. The networking is going to be outrageous. So I hope you'll accept my invitation to come to the Raising Money Summit. 
by going to raisingmoneysummit.com. Check out the speaker lineup. Check out the already amazing ticket prices that we have and grab your discount for it as well. Just put in podcast. So that's your promo code. That's your discount code. I definitely want to see you there October 3rd, 4th, and 5th.